Well, I want to jump into the program. I asked my friend, he is a minister out in Colorado to come back on the program. He's got a very timely message. And it's my pleasure to welcome him back to the program. Mark Sellers, welcome back, my friend. It's great to have you on. Thank you, Sheila. Appreciate that. It's good to be back with you. You know, one of the themes I've really noticed in my emails, hence this show, it seems like people are just going through such discouragement, such despair, dark times. There are times when we really struggle because as Christians, you're just supposed to put on a smiley face and these pat answers, trust God. And so, Mark, I know you've got a a powerful message message around this, and I'm just going to hand you the mic to get into it, and you throw it back to me when you're ready, sir. Thanks, Sheila. You're absolutely right. There, there are there are days, there are months, weeks, seasons. Right? Uh, um, Ecclesiastes talks about there are seasons, there are cycles, and it's the way God made the world to work. The enemy counterfeits that. The enemy has his seasons and cycles, and God has his. And, and there are times when we're strong. There are times when we're weak. There are times where we feel like we're on top of the world, and as you said, you know things seem to be good then. And then there are times where we seem to be in the valley. And what I believe God wants to say to his people on the show is that there's hope, and God is the God of hope. And so I want to look at some of the Psalms, just a a handful of the Psalms. There are many, many scriptures uh, in the other books of God's Word that encourage us as well. But I want to to look at some of the Psalms and, and to highlight a little bit of who God is, how he helps us, and the fact that he is our help. You know, his, his word tells us that he is an ever-present help in trouble. Proverbs tells us that, you know, his name is the strong tower, and we can run into it and be safe. And I do believe very sincerely that we are in darkening times, times of testing, times where, as you've said, many people already are feeling the pressure, you know, the 500-pound, I'd probably call it, you know, five tons at this point, elephant, <laughs> the pressure's on. And the enemy machine guns have been pulled out. If you're in a battle, it's really hard to put your head up out of the foxhole when the machine guns are just going nonstop. And so tonight, uh, I want to uh, offer to our brothers and sisters what God tells us about himself and what we read in the psalm, that he is able to stop the machine gun. He is able to help us in the midst of that uh, fire from the enemy, being in the foxhole, trapped So I want to start with Psalm 31. Psalm 31 starts with, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. And so the words uh, right there at the get-go, or the beginning of uh, verse 1, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. So I think part of this word that, that God has for his children tonight is that we can trust, presuming that there are many people listening to the show who are losing trust, maybe losing hope, maybe losing some faith. Maybe they feel like their grip, uh, so to speak, on life and God and, and the Christian journey, walking with, with following Jesus, that that grip is slipping. And so I pray tonight that their trust will be built up. Verse 2, bow down thine ear to me, deliver me speedily, be thou my strong rock for an house of defense to save me. That's a wonderful picture, wonderful picture of God as our fortress, the strong rock. Look at those words that exude strength, that exude stability, that the words that describe the changelessness 
<laughs> that's a big word, of God, you know, his, his permanence, that he won't change. The, the word tells us that there's no shadow of change. There's no, he's no shifting sand. And in fact, it tells us in uh, Malachi 3, 6 at the very beginning, for I am the Lord, I change not. And literally that, that in the Hebrew there, literally it means he doesn't change. And so he is stable. He's a house of defense to save us. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. God tells us and presents himself to us as a fortress, as that stronghold, as that place of safety and refuge. Verse 4, pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me, for thou art my strength. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Verse 6, I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust, there's that word again, in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities, and hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. And let's just stop right there for a second and, and, and kind of break that down a little bit. We see here this great picture of God in whom we can trust. Why can we trust? We put our trust in various things. We talk about being trustworthy. You know, we know it's a virtue, it's a value, it's a characteristic. We want our, our children to be trustworthy. We, we, you know, we want our coworkers and our employers want trusting and trustworthy employees. It's a word that we use very commonly, and it applies to God because he is trustworthy. Because God is, as we said, uh, from Malachi, uh, first of all, God never changes, and there is no evil in God. There's no darkness. In fact, the word says that darkness is as light to him, and God is perfection, and God is loving, and God is kind, and he's gracious, and he's merciful, and we're going to see some of those attributes, characteristics pointed out as we read through the other scriptures. Uh, but God is is trustworthy, and we see here even in these seven verses that we've read so far, a little glimpse, a little picture of why we can trust him. Why? Because he delivers us. It, verse 2, bow down thine ear to me. There are other passages in the scripture where uh, um, it gives a picture, a word picture of God. It uses the phrase, incline thy ear or to bow down and there's this picture i have in my mind of 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 you know my grandchildren are 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 young and and small and <clears throat> they'll say something quietly and i have to literally bend over sometimes to hear what they say and that's the picture god is giving us god is is like literally bending down he's bending over kind of putting his hand behind his cupping his ear to hear the words of his sheep to hear the words of his children as they cry out to him and i know there have been times in my life and i'm sure many people have experienced this where sometimes you don't even have much strength to cry out to god it's it's almost like a whimper it's just a little almost a whisper um yet <clears throat> verse 2 says that god bows down his ear to us and delivers us speedily he is a strong rock 
he is a house of defense. There's the, again that that picture of the refuge, the, the the tower to run into, that safe place. You know, back in the uh, medieval days and and in other times in history, they would build castles and they would have fortresses and they would have uh, ramparts and they'd have these other structures built around the castle for defense. And if you go and visit some of them, or if you've seen pictures of them, some of these facilities, these edifices, they're huge. They're kind of ginormous. And you look at them and you think, how on earth would somebody ever conquer that place? There's just no way to get in. There's this huge moat. There's the drawbridge pulled up. There's all these defense things around them. And they have the big um, the big spiral things up at the top where the guards and the watchmen would, would stand on the towers there. And all of those pictures, all of those words of those castles and the fortresses uh, are what the writer here is, is saying in verse 2. That's a house of defense. And God does that, and he has done that, and he has built those things for his children, for you and I, so that when those times of our life come, we can run into them and we can find safety. No matter what's going on outside in our world, we can be safe in God. We are safe in Christ because he is our protector, and we'll we'll see some other pictures of that. Verse 3, for thou art my rock and my fortress. Another picture, another word, fortress, there it is. The rock. As we know, the, the, the phrase, the rock, applying to God is used all throughout Scripture. And when we think of a rock, we think of something, especially these ginormous, big, huge boulders. There's something that's not easily moved. There's something that's been there f- for a very long time. I'm not going to say forever. I don't, I don't know how long some of those <laughs> boulders have been around. But they're a picture of permanence. You know, we have that phrase, the rock of Gibraltar. And it's a picture of God's steadfastness, of God's permanence, of God's changelessness, being a present place. And we understand through through the things that Jesus taught when he came and, and walked on this earth and, and interacted with, with uh, people and, and led his followers. In Matthew 7, at the very end of Matthew 7, there's a real interesting parable, a teaching that Jesus gives right at the very end there. And he talks about two people. The first one is the one that obeys. And it says he will be as a man who built on the what? Rock. Again, there's that rock. If you are living in obedience to God, following Christ in his teachings, then you are building on the rock. And there's a permanency. For when that storm comes, which is what we're talking about here, right? We've started this with their storms come, They have already come in some people's lives, and they're coming into all the world. It's not something that we can just pray away or we're going to avoid. It is going to come because God said it's going to come. When those storms come, his house won't be destroyed because it's built upon a rock. Great picture of what we're talking about. It's a wonderful picture of who God is. And then the verse following that, Jesus says, well, 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 then there's the guy who doesn't obey, right? He who hears my word, it does not put it into practice. He will be like the one who builds upon the sand. And when the storm comes, and the interesting thing in the Greek there is that there are different words for storm. There's a different picture of the storm. The first storm is a pretty serious storm. And the second one isn't. It's just kind of like a rainfall. It's just like an afternoon rain. But it says he will build on the sand and his his house will be destroyed. 
So as we go through these psalms, I want all of us to keep that in mind. It's that wonderful picture of the permanency of building on the rock, and God is the rock. That's why Jesus said the only way you can build upon the rock is if you build upon God's principles. You follow God's commands, because that's the only way to establish yourselves in that permanency, because it's God that's the rock. We're building on God because we're building on his principles. We're building on his foundations. As Psalm 119 says, that big, huge, long psalm, all through it talks about how all of those commands, those precepts, those laws, those teachings of God are all for our benefit, for our good. And that's the temptation, right? That's the temptation from the world, from the enemy, the kingdom of darkness. It's constantly there throwing those darts of doubt, you know, throwing those 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 missiles of distrust and hopelessness and things that cause us to forget these scriptures, these verses. I don't believe I'm going to read any verses tonight that our listeners have not already read or heard before. This isn't new. God's not a new concept. And so, like the writers in the New Testament, some of the letters in the epistles, like Paul and Peter and others, you know, I I guess tonight's subtitle is, it's good to remind you again of this aspect of who God is. Because we are going to need, and we do need today, Here's the other deception, Sheila. The, the the deception today is, well, when my life is good, I don't need the rock. When my life is going good, I really don't need God. Now, we don't consciously say that, but we act as though that's true. Yet that's a lie, because the reality is, as we've talked many times, God is our only need meter. He is the only one capable. He is the only one sufficient. He is the only one that has the ability and the provision and the resources to meet our needs. Um, but the picture God gave me is is um, I have in, in my garage, I have these buckets. They're uh, five-gallon buckets. You buy them at, you know, one of the big box home improvement stores. And so, God reminded me one day as I was praying in the morning, and it was like, God doesn't have around him in the throne room of heaven a whole bunch of five-gallon buckets with labels on them. Well, here's a bucket of love, here's a bucket of mercy, and that bucket has courage, and that bucket has gifts, and this bucket has compassion or strength, whatever. God says, no, I don't provide out of an external resource. I provide out of myself. And why is that important? It's because when you reach the end of a five-gallon bucket, it's empty. God never reaches empty. He is an infinite resource. He is a God of infinity. Now, what he makes can be construed. Sorry, big word. It can seem, it can appear to be finite, and some things may be finite, but in reality, God is a God of the infinity. God is the God of the infinite. He is the God of limitless provision. He's the God of limitless resources. Lamentations 3 gives us this wonderful picture uh, there in 22 and 23 of, of his compassions, which don't fail, his mercies, which are new. How many times? Every morning. It doesn't say that on January 31 of the year 2000 or whatever, his mercy's going to run out. It doesn't say that because God doesn't run out of stuff because he gives out of who he is. And that's the picture of the five-gallon buckets. And so the dental flossers, which is slightly related to that, is that God has given us, what he has given us finite is the shell of a body we live in. It's temporary. And in fact, if we get there, we may read 
there's a psalm that talks about that, how God remembers. He remembers our frail form. He remembers that we're dust. Uh, he hasn't forgotten. As humans, the enemy wants us to, you know, God forgot you. You, you hear that? You hear that little mocking voice come sometimes yeah, in, the, yeah. in that valley in the pit of despair? Look, God doesn't see you. That's the message behind that lie, right? Is that God doesn't care about you or you wouldn't be in this situation. Well, that's a lie. So what God cares about is what's inside us, the part that he made us in his image. God doesn't have flesh and blood. God tells us in his word that a couple things. He is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act, and does he promise and not, not fulfill? Uh, and those are rhetorical questions. No, he does not. So what does he care about? He doesn't care about this flesh suit, this tent, this temporary structure that is temporary now because of the fall, Adam and Eve, the sin, the original sin, the fall of man. Death is brought in, and so our shell is finite, but our soul, our spirit, the part that's created in the image of God is infinite, and it will continue to go on. And so, God gave me the picture, image, the metaphor of that in the dental flosser. You know, you use them for 20 seconds, you throw them away. The, the companies don't put a lot of investment into that because it's just a dental flosser. There's no big deal. You use it, throw it away, boop, done. You don't even think about it again the rest of your day. And God says, I care about your bodies and I've provided, I have provision for it. I've got healing, I have resources and all that. But at the end of the day, it's a mist. It's a vapor. It's, it's like the dew on the grass. When the sun comes up, you know, seven o'clock or eight o'clock in the summer, it's gone. It's temporary. It's not a big deal. I'll take care of it, but I'm investing in what's inside you. And so these Psalms, I'll go on to some more, remind us that God does invest in what's inside us. God does provide a refuge. God does provide hope. God is trustworthy. And so one of the reasons I, I believe God wants to say this right now to his people is because there are many times that we've heard, oh, trust God. He's trustworthy. He won't leave you or forsake you. And uh, as Sheila, you were saying kind of earlier, sometimes things can get turned into pat phrases. Sometimes things can become trite. I have a good friend of mine, and he calls it, you know, the bumper sticker <laughs> messages. God is real. And the enemy likes to do that. He likes to, we've talked about this the other day, he likes to counterfeit, twist, and usurp all that God has offered so that we will doubt, so that we do give up, we do lose heart, we do lose trust. We go to the, that road to the pit of despair, often willingly, because we have been told so often that God is trustworthy, but for some reason we're not seeing that. And the reality is that, no, God himself tells us, you can trust me, and then he gives us reasons why. And that's the beauty about God, is he just doesn't stand in the throne room, point his finger and dictate things and say, you just, you know, it's my way or the highway. It really is his way or the highway, to be honest, but he doesn't do it in that manner. He actually explains. He actually gives a lot of evidence. He gives a lot of reasons. His entire word to us from beginning to end is one huge panoramic picture of a God who created humans, this creation, to be his, and he will take care of it. How do I know that, Sheila? There's a parable that Jesus told. It's about a landowner 
and a gardener. And the landowner comes out and he sees the fig tree. And I believe it's three years. And he hasn't produced any figs yet. The gardener, who represents God, in the scriptures, a gardener generally always represents God. In the King James, it's called the, the husbandman, the vine dresser, the guy who's responsible for the plants, trees, those items in the garden. He's responsible for their fruit to be born. He's responsible. And the, the landowner says, look, this thing hasn't done anything. Let's just cut it down. And what does the gardener reply? He says, no. Let's give it another year. Let me tend to it. Let me dig around it. Let me fertilize it. Let me water it. Let me nurture it so that it will then be fruitful. Do you remember the command of God to Adam and Eve in the garden? The command of God was to be fruitful and to multiply, right? So God's desire for his creation is to bear fruit. And God is responsible for that fruit because God provides the fertilizer. God provides the watering. God provides the digging around. God provides the nurturing. In other places in scripture, God calls us sheep. We're sheep without a shepherd. We're wayward sheep. <laughs> We're sheep that have gone astray because we go to our own way because that's what sheep do. God knew what he was doing when he called us sheep because he created us. And so he, but he, right in John 10, he Jesus, God, is our great shepherd. Again, what is the role of the shepherd? To provide for the sheep, take care of them, to make sure that they're, again, well-watered, well-fed, nurtured, provided for, given a safe place so that they can rest, etc., etc. These are all pictures that God gives us. These are truths. These are characteristics that God is telling us. God is saying, giving us one big, huge message in his word saying, look, this is who I am. You know, he says to Moses, I am that I am. Well, who is I am? I am as the gardener. I am as the shepherd. I am is, as we already already read in just a few verses from Psalm 31, he's the one that bows down his ear to hear his children. He's our rock. He's our fortress. He is the one that pulls us, verse 4, pulls us out of the net that they have laid privily, secretly for us. For he is our strength. He is the one that has redeemed us, it says in verse 5. He is the one, as it says in verse 19, that is good. How great is thy goodness, it says, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Verse 22, for I said in my haste, I'm cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications. God hears your supplications when we cry unto him. I know that there are many people listening right now that have been told, stop talking to God. Stop crying out to him. He's not listening. He's not interested. You did this. You did that. Look at what you're doing right now. He doesn't listen to that. And I'm here to tell you, that's a lie from the pit. That's a lie from the enemy, that the father of lies is lying to you. God hears the voice of our supplications. Verse 23, O love the Lord, all ye saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentifully, that's a big word, <laughs> rewardeth the proud doer. What does that mean? Hey, that's in the King James Version. What does that mean? It means this. He preserves the faithful, but the proud he pays back in 
full. And that's another picture of God's sowing and reaping principle, which is another reason we can trust God. Sheila, do you ever look around? We've talked about this uh, a while ago with, with Psalm 73. Do you ever look around and you see all the evil people prospering and you wonder, what in the world's going on? God, where's your justice? What, what, what are you thinking about? How are these people all getting away with all this stuff? What does it say here? It says that God will plentifully reward them. They will get their just desserts. God is a just God. He is a God of justice. He is a God of judgment. And sometimes he takes the sheep and he breaks their leg and picks them up and carries them. Other time he leads them to still pastures, quiet waters where they can rest. Other times he pulls out the staff, grabs them by the neck and, and yanks them maybe a little harshly somewhere. That's who God is. You know, God has a right hand and a left hand. God has, again, as we talked about with the five-gallon buckets, it's who God is. God is just. God is love. God is merciful. God is kind. And all of those things that God is, I use the word things, I don't have a better word right now, his character, his qualities of who he is, are reasons why we can trust him. This psalm ends, verse 24, with be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. My prayer as we go through this is that my brothers and sisters, these children of God who listen, will be of good courage, and your hearts will be strengthened. There's nothing worse, nothing worse. There are many tools and weapons in the enemy's tool belt. And one of the very powerful ones is to to get to your heart, to where you've lost strength. You've lost hope. You don't have any courage. You just give up and you just, you're done, you know? And God says, I care about you. I want you to see that I can give you strength, and I can give you courage. And so my prayer is that <clears throat> whoever is feeling that, whoever believes that, whoever is, is, has the, those mocking birds of the enemy um, quacking at them to give up, that you can't trust God, there's no hope, to, to, to not have any courage, uh, that you will receive hope, courage, and strength through God's Word. Let's look at Psalm 3. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? <laughs> you ever look around and you're like, oh man, the enemy's multiplying. They're not getting smaller, they're getting bigger. There's more quantity. Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Have you heard that? Yep, yeah. Oh, why, what are you turning to God for? He's no help. Look, he hasn't answered your prayer. You've been praying for 23 and a half years for that thing, and heaven's been silent. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and slept. I awaked. Why? For the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me roundabout. I love that. I love that. Verse 6. I want to read it one more time. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. That ties directly to the first verse. Do you notice that? Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? There's ten thousands of people troubling me, God. But I won't be afraid of them that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Ah, what a great picture. 
What a great picture. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. I, I don't know about you, uh, uh, but I, uh, I'm a guy. I'm kind of a warrior. God has given me kind of a warrior heart, a fighter. And I love this picture in verse 7 of God smiting the enemy upon their cheekbone and breaking their teeth of the ungodly. You know, if you hit someone in the jaw hard enough, their teeth are going to break. And that's the picture I have of God just smacking him so hard there. That's what God does for his people. Another picture God has given me is that God is the king, right? He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And he has a, a kingdom. And in God's kingdom, I believe, just as just as God had in, in the temple, there were temple guards, God has his guards. And he's the commander. And there is a, a captain of the guard. And the captain of the guard has to listen to the people in God's kingdom who live in the palace. Make sense? Well, you and I, Sheila, live in the palace with God in his kingdom. And we can give the captain of the guard orders. For example, for example, king, you've got the king and his son goes and plays with some other boys that day and they all gang up and on him and beat him up and, and torment him and tease him and bully him and all that. Well, what is the son going to do? He's going to go home and he's going to send call the captain of the guard or he may tell his dad or he may directly talk to him. But either way, the captain of the guard gets the message and those boys and their families are going to get a very unpleasant visit from the captain of the guard. You make sense? And it's not going to go so well with them. God has a captain of the guard who defends us. Verse 3, but thou, O Lord, art a what? A shield, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. God is our defender. So this psalm gives us a picture of of a defender. The, the one we looked at before gave us a picture of the rock and the fortress and our help and in and, and whom we can trust. And this one gives us a picture of the defender. He's actively, this isn't a passive picture. Sometimes people think that God is passive. Some people think, well, well, I just run in there and I'm safe. And, you know, the enemy's going to come and all that stuff. And I just have to, I just have to endure it and it'll all eventually go away. No, God has a active role as well. And he is an offensive God. He does defend and he does send the guards out. And we can as well, right? We can call the captain of the guards. We can call the warring mighty guarding angels. We can call upon the angels of God to implement those things that God has promised in his word. Let me give you just a few verses to write down. I'm not going to read them, but if you have a pen and paper or way to Take note, Psalm 54, 7. Psalm 54, 7. These are all Psalms. 59, 10. 112, 8. And lastly, 118, 7. And these are just four passages of Scripture among many. There are many where God says that he will give us our desire against the enemy. Because the enemy of God is our enemy, right? And God gives this to us. So it's a wonderful picture of kind of the warrior God, of the offensive God, the God who goes out and defends us actively and fights on our behalf. Let's take a look at another Psalm 116. Psalm 116. And Psalm 116 begins, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. There it is again. He hears us. What does he hear? Our supplications. Because he hath, here's that word, 
inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death come past me. In other words, I'm surrounded by them. And the pains of hell get hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. This gives us a picture of his mercy. His mercy. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul. Why? For the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from failing. And that feet from failing reminds me of the other passages of Scripture where God promises to establish our feet. It says he sets our feet as the hind feet of, the, of that deer, the, the animal that lives up in the crags. The, you know, out here in, in, in the Rockies of Colorado, you can go and you, sometimes you can see those mountain goats and the rams and those other animals. And they're climbing up this sheer rock and you're like, how on earth do they do that? There's nothing to grab onto, but there they go, clamoring up the side of that of that rock sheer rock face and god says he does that for us that's that picture right there at the end of eight that he enables empowers sets our feet from failing now let, let me ask a question right now let's just stop for for a second and, and say why is god doing all this we're in our third psalm we've looked at a number a pretty good amount of evidence that God is for us, that God helps us, and he is trustworthy. We can put our hope in him. He is not ignorant. He is not blind to our situations, our circumstances, what's going on in our life. He is acutely aware. Why is he doing this? Why does he listen? Why does he incline his ear? Well, that's a question that we all need to, to wrestle with is, and come to the truth not the lie from the enemy, not the lie from Pastor Billy Bob or some book or, you know, not Jesus Calling or something else. What does God say? It's because, as I mentioned earlier in the parable Jesus told about the husbandman, the vine dresser, the gardener, because you and I are God's property. You and I were created with a purpose in mind, in God's mind. You and I were created in his image. We were created to have a relationship with him unlike all of the rest of creation. There is no other part of creation that gets the relationship that we get with God. And he guards that jealously. He takes care. He loves us infinitely. And his mercy, as we said in Lamentations 3, his mercies are new. His compassion never fails. His faithfulness is great. And that word faithfulness, take a look at that in the Hebrew. It's literally, he's a covenant-keeping God. Why? Because he can't break his own covenant. Because if you remember, the covenant he made with Abraham was God's covenant. Abraham didn't create it. Man doesn't make a covenant with God. God is the initiator. He's the alpha and omega. He's the definer. He is the creator. As Colossians 1 says about Jesus, there's nothing that has been made that wasn't made by him. So why is God doing this? In, in just these three sections of Psalms, we see these verse after verse after verse of how God takes care of us. He cares about us. We can trust him. We can hope. We can believe in him because he does hear. He does care. He does 
lift us out. He is seeing us, and he is aware of all of this, is because of who God is. Not the five-gallon bucket of stuff that he gives to us, and then the enemy comes and says, he's going to run out someday. No, no, it's because of who God is, and it's because of how he has established and ordained the relationship that he has created um, through his son Jesus that we have with him is one of permanency. It's just like the rock. It's one of provision because of who he is. It's one of investment, again, the gardener, because he loves us, because he cares about us, because he is the one that is worthy of trust. You see, what the enemy wants to do, Sheila, the enemy wants to get in there and usurp, as we said, and twist and counterfeit that. He wants the throne of our life, as we did, and we did that show a while ago, you know, who's on your throne. He wants that worship. He wants to be the one who appears to be providing all of these things that we've talked about already in just these three Psalms, but he can't because he's not able to. But he wants us to believe that. So he's always trying through all different means. There are, there are, there's just a, 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 almost an infinite, I think it's finite. It seems infinite to us and our peon brains and minds and narrow view of life. But he's always trying to get us to doubt God. Oh, God didn't really say, does that sound familiar? He didn't really say he was going to hear you. He only hears the repentant prayer. He only hears this. He only will come and help you if you do this, 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 and this. And you didn't do this, 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 and this. You did that, that, and the other thing. So you're disqualified. And what I'm here to remind us all is that those are lies. And we have authority over them. We can just call them out. We just tell them, stop lying. I bind the liars. Tell them to leave. Tell them to shut up. Send the angels to gag them, stick them, do something with, get them out of your life and turn your focus, turn your attention, build your trust, read these, commit some of them to memory, abide in in God's word as it says in John 15 that God is the vine and we're the branch. And you never see in the natural physical realm, you can't go to an orchard and see a bunch of healthy fruit on branches that are not connected to the trunk of the tree. That's never going to happen. And so for some people listening to this, it's time to get back into the trunk. It's time to, you know, spend some time with 1 John 2 and John 15 and, and the Psalms and the promises and just spend time just soaking in that nourishment that God is giving you. Remember the gardener that Jesus talked about? The fertilizing, the nourishing, the watering, the digging around. Submit to God. You know, people love to quote that verse, resist the devil and he'll flee from you, but they leave the first phrase out. We have to submit to God. We have to be a willing branch. I need to be a willing tree. I need to be willing, right? Psalm 1. Which, which is a picture, which is a, a duplicate kind of of what the tree, in, I think it's in Jeremiah, right? What does Psalm, Psalm 1 begin with? You know, before we can be the tree planted by the stream of water whose leaves don't wither, we need to, we need to what? We need to not sit, stand, and walk in the wrong places, and we need to meditate on his law day and night. It's a picture, again, of the natural tree, the branch abiding 
sitting engrafted in, maybe, <laughs> we're engrafted, plugged into that trunk and receiving the life-giving nutrients. I pray that these truths, these scriptures are life-giving to your soul, to your spirit, that you will receive these truths that God himself is speaking to us here and now to say, this is who he is. We can trust him. And it's okay. It's okay. Well, Mark, I listened to the, yeah, I was listening to the mocking voices and I've had such a hard time and this happened and that happened and that happened and I took my eyes off Jesus and I haven't abided, you know, and honestly, I'm starting maybe to forget some of the promises of God. Okay, acknowledge it, turn around, go back. Is there breath in your lungs? (laughs) Is your heart beating? Okay, do something about it now, turn now. Maybe have someone pray for you, sit under some solid teaching, receive prayer, deliverance, the healing, get rid of those lying voices, those interferers, you know, the governors, the protectors, the hinderers, the pilferers, the stealers, all of those structures and systems set up by the enemy and the demonic setups that have been stealing from your life to cause you to doubt, to distrust, to end up being like the psalmist here, that the sorrows of death come past me and the pains of hell got hold upon me and I found trouble and sorrow. That's where the enemy wants us to go, right? We go into Proverbs chapter 1 through chapter 10. Really, it's probably uh, 2, the end of 2 to to 10. There's that picture of the two women. There's the picture of their their embodied, their their metaphors, allegories, right? Personified as women. There's this the wisdom, and then there's the harlot woman. And the harlot woman is out, and there's a path that she lives on. Her path is crooked, and it's off of God's path. And it says, what does it say in the Proverbs there? That at the end of her path is what? Death. That's where the enemy wants you to go. The enemy wants you to be that sheep that leaves the fold, that walks away from the shepherd, and then so that you can get picked off by the enemy. And it's just some demons. That's all they are. They're just liars. They're just there to sow discord and to sow distrust and to sow doubt and despair and despondency and dismay and depression and all those other deadly deeds. But look at verse 4 in Psalm 116. Look at verse 4. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. So call on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee. Lord, I beseech you. Please deliver my soul. Do that. Sit under some solid teaching some feeding where you can be watered, fertilized, and get that stuff dug out of your life through deliverance, through through healing, through prayer, get the wounds out, the lies, all of that. Abide, feed on the truth of God, and I am sure you will begin to see the darkness erased. The darkness will leave, and as scripture says, there will be a light dawning. <laughs> It'll get brighter, not darker, in your life. Can I pray at the end just quickly, too? Oh, Do you want yeah, that or not? Yes, absolutely. I have a I have a list of just a few things. Um, um, so, okay, let me just wrap up. So, Sheila, I haven't covered all of the rest of these psalms, but let me give them um, to our listeners. They can write them down. They can read them. Um, psalm 61, especially verses 1 through 5. And then Psalm 91 is very similar to Psalm 61. There's the parallels there. And in Psalm 91... Uh, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 9 through 12 are some wonderful promises of God, of his provision, of his protection, pictures of how he cares uh, for us. And then Psalm 40, Psalm 40, verses 1 through 5, 
and Psalm 34. Most of Psalm 34. Just read the whole thing. <laughs> There's some great, great passages there to uh, read and meditate on and, and come into memories. But maybe verse 4, for example. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. There's a great one, great one to memorize. Psalm 103. And then lastly, Psalm 121. It's fairly short. I'd like to read that as kind of our closing, kind of a benediction, if you will, just a, a closing. And then, Sheila, I'd like to pray for, for our listeners against some of these things that get in the way of our trust and and hope and faith in God. Psalm 121, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which hath made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Amen. Amen. Okay, Sheila, I'd like to pray for our listeners now and just to agree in your heart and your mind. And um, as I call out these uh, evil demonic spirits, just take some deep breaths, uh, breathe them out, agree, and just tell them they got to go. Uh, we have authority over everyone. Uh, Luke ten nineteen, Ephesians, uh, God has given us the authority in Jesus Christ. And so we exercise that now. So Father God, we come to you tonight, Lord God, and I thank you. Father, I praise you, God, that you are trustworthy, that you are the ever-present help in trouble, that you are God, in the Hebrew language, Elroy, you are the God who sees, you are God a provider, you are the God who knows. Lord, you are not distant. You didn't wind up the universe and walk away. You care about our lives, and you are involved in every detail, every day-to-day, every second, every millisecond. Father God, nothing is beyond your purvey. Nothing is beyond your awareness. You, Jesus, Father God, Holy Spirit, work together to empower us, to equip us, to fertilize us, to strengthen us, so that we will bear fruit. And so right now, Lord God, according to your word, we take dominion and authority seated with Christ. And so we bind you, Satan, we come against you, and we bind in Jesus' name all of these spirits that I'm about to name who get in the way, in the spirit of distrust, you spirits, demonic spirits that cause us not to trust God, the lying spirits, all of the lying devils, we condemn you in Jesus' name. We command you to come out of God's people now. All the demons of distrust, all the demons of doubt. Well, did God really say all the mocking, the scoffing, the scorner spirits, go, come on, get out of the people now, up and out in Jesus' name. I loose the angels to go in and round them up now and to poke them with the swords and we loose the hornets in to drive them out of the people of God in Jesus' name. Father God, it is not your desire that we walk in uncertainty and that we walk in distrust. Father God, it is not your desire. It is not your plan. It is not your provision. God, you have given us a secure foundation. You have put our, our feet into a sure place. And so 
every lying tongue, every lying devil that has told these people of God who are listening right now that you are not trustworthy. I silence you in the name of Jesus, and I command you to leave all spirits of fear, every form of fear, all the fear, all the the spirits of magnification, the principle of demonic magnification. Well, it's going to cost you too much to change. You're so comfortable here. We're your friends. We're your helpers. We're the ones that you should trust. Oh, I bind you all. I command you to stop saying that to the people of God now. In Jesus' name, out you go. Get up and out. Out in Jesus' name. All the spirits who cause the lack of faith, the lack of confidence in Jesus' name, the lack of courage, go in Jesus' name. Right now, come on. All the lack, the spirit of poverty, of spiritual poverty, all the the spirits who are causing the people to fear and to run away from God, rather toward him. All the religious spirits, all the idealistic, the legalistic, the spirits of condemnation, of guilt, shame, condemnation, oh, the self-condemnation, all the self-deprecation. Oh, look, you can't trust God. He only loves the perfect. He only will follow those who've repented this way, and you didn't call upon him in the right way. Oh, maybe you didn't use this word, or you didn't do it this way. All that legalistic mumbo-jumbo, I bind you in the name of Jesus, and I command you to get out of the people now. Come on, go. All the hopelessness, the darkness, the hopelessness, the spirits of heaviness. Oh, the heaviness, the despair in Jesus' name. Let's go. I bind you, command you to leave. Angels go in, push them out, push, push, push. Come on, get up and out. Let's go. Dismay, despondency, depression, you go too in Jesus' name. We are not downcast. Why so downcast, O my soul? Our hope is in the Lord, the maker of all heaven and earth, the one who has created us above all creation to be intimately related with him. As God has established in his word, that picture of the intimacy, the union between a man and and a woman in the bonds of marriage is our relationship with God Almighty. In Satan, you can never take that place in Jesus' name. I reject those lies now in Jesus' name. Get out of the people, all you liars. Come on, let's go. Let's go. The spirit of Marticus, come on, that short-sighted, that myopic, that nearsightedness, the nearsightedness. Oh, I I can't see God. I can't see him at work. All I I see is this here. I just see that there. And, And then God's word is presented and they're overwhelmed. That spirit, that overwhelming, that mental shutdown, that stopping those demons who work in the mind to shut you down and get you to be passive and sit on the couch and they're barking to you right now. Sit down and shut up. Turn this recording off. Turn the YouTube off. Don't listen to this anymore. I bind you and I command you to stop speaking to the people of God. In Jesus' name, out. Out you go. Let's go. Have a nice trip wherever the angels are leading you. In Jesus' name, go. Spirit of abandonment. Abandonment, rejection. Let's go. Come on. Abandonment, rejection. Unworthiness. Spirits of unworthiness. Well, I'm not worthy, God. Why would God rescue me? Why would God be a fortress for me? Oh, little old me? Oh, I don't... Oh, I'm not worthy of that. No, we're made worthy in Jesus' name. We are made worthy because of God, and He is the one who has made us worthy in Jesus' name. We bind the spirits of sabotage. All the sabotage, the self-sabotage, all the sabotaging, the demonic setups of sabotage that have been working your life.
lives to stop the work of God, all the stealing, all those pilfering, pickpocketing, all those demons of poverty and stealing to take those truths of God, the scriptures. Well, I've memorized them, but they just can't seem to get in my heart. We bind that. We break all of those glass bowls, those barriers, those protectors, those hinderers that are in the way of the truth of God coming and taking root in your life. In Jesus' name, right now, in Jesus' name, get out of the people. Self-condemnation. Let's go. Let's go. All the mental blocking. All the mental blocks in Jesus' name. Let's go. Come on. Get out of their minds. Come on. All the mind control, the squids, the octopus, the spirit of false prophecy, all the mind games, the mind control, the mind blinding, the mind raising. Let's go. Come on. Out of the people. Let's go. In Jesus' name. Just agree. Agree. Tell them they got to go. They're not your friends anymore. You want the life that God has for you. You want to be able to trust God. We are going to need to trust God in the days ahead, and the enemy knows that, and he's trying to stop you. In Jesus' name, we're stopping the stopping. (laughs) In Jesus' name, you stoppers, stop. In Jesus' name, get out. The inability to concentrate, all the jumbles, the words, I I can't, all the interruptions, and the distractions. In Jesus' name, take dominion and authority over those you are worthy to receive from God as you read his word and listen to his Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, stop causing them to not be able to concentrate, to not be able to read, to not be able to understand, to not be able to take that into their hearts. Come on, we bind you the spirit of Leviathan. Let's go. Leviathan, get out in Jesus' name. Angels, go. Cut off his tail, cut off its hood, dice it up, and just start pulling that thing out in Jesus' name. You that wants all sleep, you can watch TV, you can watch movies, you can do stuff for hours, but you crack open the word of God and you're asleep in 30 seconds. Get out of the people in Jesus' name. You will not interfere with them. You will not steal the truth of the Word of God. You will not take the nutrients. You will not take the water. You will not take the fertilizing that God is putting into the to his children in Jesus' name any longer. Get out of the people. All the poor memory recall. Let's go. Get out of the mind. Death, darkness, destruction. Go. Torment, sorrow, trouble, grief, overwhelm. That's related to that Marticus. Overwhelming. I see this thing and it's just overwhelming. Oh my gosh, this is the biggest problem the world has ever had and it's only me. All that self-pity. All that self-pity. The woe is me. The spirit of Eeyore. Oh, it's oh, why bother? The puddleglum spirit. Get out of people in Jesus' name right now. The give up spirit. Passivity. The complacency in Jesus' name. I loose now in the name of blood of Jesus Christ. God, I ask you by your Holy Spirit and your angels, however it is you want to do it, back the big trucks up and dump upon your people. I lose the seven pillars of wisdom. I lose especially that discretion and discernment, knowledge and understanding that they will know and understand and have a conviction, a deep root of conviction begin to, to form and grow in their hearts, their souls, their spirits, their minds to know that they know that they know that God is for them not against them. I lose a love and a hunger and a passion and a desire, a thirst for God's word. I lose that heart for God that David had in Jesus' name. I lose that compassion, that love, that agape love in Jesus' name. I lose the spirit of truth, the law of truth, and the love of truth in Jesus' name. I lose the mental clarity, the mental recall, the restoring and regenerating of the brain and the mind. I speak to those brain cells tonight of the people of God listening in Jesus' name. Be renewed be restored, be able to hold
hold on to and recall by the Holy Spirit, reconnect those neural pathways if they've been broken, damaged through chemical, uh, environmental, physical, whatever it is, in Jesus' name, loose a full, complete restoration. I lose the spirit of the courage of Joshua. It takes courage to trust God. It takes courage in the days that are ahead. But we, as it says in Daniel eleven thirty two, we know our God and we will do exploits. We will stand firm, even though the prince of darkness and all that evil that's coming against the people of God, we stand firm because we know, like Joshua knows, that God, you have already given this land to us. You have already given your promises to us. In Jesus' name, that is the truth. I lose the spirit of hope, and I lose the spirit of adoption. In Jesus' name, upon the people of God. Father, I thank you and I praise you. God, you are good. Everything you do is out of who you are. Everything you give is out of who you are. You have an infinite supply. You never run out. You don't make mistakes. You never say, oops. You never say, I didn't see that coming. So I ask that you will encourage your sons, your daughters, your sheep, your fruit trees tonight, Father, that we would bear fruit for you. And you will keep us in the days and months and years that are coming ahead of us. Those times of darkness, the times of fulfillment of your scripture. And Father God, we look forward to standing strong with you in seeing all that we have read in the Psalms come true in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, that was Mark Sellers. His information is linked in the description below. Get out and see him in person out there in Colorado at the Western Colorado Church of Deliverance with Sharon and Monty Mulkey, who are my guests tomorrow. And you do not want to miss that show. That's WCCD.com. Get out and meet some incredible people and have a life-changing weekend. Well, we are out of time. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. We'll see you real soon. Good night and God bless.